0: Welcome back to New Books in African-American Studies, a channel within the New Books Network. I'm your host, Adam McNeil. Today on the program, we have Dr. Ashley Robertson Preston, African-American Studies lecturer at the University of Florida. Dr. Preston is here to discuss her new book published by our friends at the History Press entitled Mary McLeod Bethune in Florida, bringing social justice to the sunshine state. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, we're definitely glad to have you on as well. And so um, as I said to you uh, offline, you are one of our awesome HBCU featured uh, authors um, on the series that I'm running on the scholars who have been trained at HBCUs and or are uh, scholars at HBCUs. And so... You know, that's the reason why you're uh, really, really featured in this particular uh, time frame as well, along with the fact that your book's pretty awesome, too. Um, so can you talk to us a bit um, before we get into Mary McLeod Bethune in Florida about, you know, why HBCUs are important to you? Um, and also, you know, you can also connect this to um, your, your, uh, your book as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so I am a first generation college student. Um, I'm from a small town called Oxford, North Carolina, and I can really say that going to Bowie State University uh, for undergrad it really encha- it really changed my entire life. Like that HBCU really really helped shape me to be the person that I am today. Um, the relationships that I developed there, the friendships, the mentors, the uh, professors that you know, encouraged me to go to my next level, um, particularly my professor, um, Dr. Valethea Watkins, uh, who I was a finance major in undergrad, believe it or not. And um, she really encouraged me to move forward with my love for history and African-American studies. And, you know, I think that being in that space, having those um, professors and those small classroom sizes and those very intimate conversations that we were able to have in that safe space, you know, it really helped us all to become uh, more aware of the world around us. And it also allowed us to become more connected. I mean, my friends that I made in in undergrad and even in grad school, you know, they were in my wedding, you know, they've been to visit my son, you know, and I just, I just have a lot of just, You know, I just really admire the things that the institutions have been able to do. And I always like to tell people, you know, we have choices now, but we have to understand that HBCUs accepted us when no one else would. You know, they were uh, the backbone of our communities. Many of them started as just, you know, small schools teaching people how to read and write. You know, because we understood the importance of education and they open those doors to young and old people. And, you know, we have we really, really should thank these institutions and, you know, really pour into them, um, especially with all of the challenges that they're facing during this time. And so um, uh, it was really my pleasure to write this book about Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune. Um, I spent about five years working at Bethune-Cookman University. And uh, when I came to Bethune, I met so many people who loved Mrs. Bethune and who actually remembered her. Uh, One of the interesting things about Daytona is that there are a lot of people that are 90 plus years old there. And um, for me, it was important to write that story and um, especially to have her grandson, who she raised as her legally adopted son, uh, to have him to be a part of the book, uh, not knowing that he would pass away a couple of years later at the age of, I think he was 96 years old. And so, you know, it was just a thing where, you know, I was there with the community and, you know, I was hearing all of these great stories and I wanted to capture them. Uh, Because when you talk about HBCUs, You know, you cannot have that conversation without discussing Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune. Uh, When you look at even her work uh, with uh, the Roosevelt's during their administration, you know, she was able to funnel so much money back into the HBCUs uh, with those New Deal projects. And so, um, you know, it was really an honor to write that book about her.
0: And it's also an honor too considering that, um, you know, I'm I'm a Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, October third, eighteen eighty seven. What? Uh rattlers, you know, gotta shout that out too. And you know, it, it's you know, it's a rivalry and everything, but at the end of the day, um it's great that, you know Bethune Cookman uh call or well, when i was a kid it was college now it's university but but then cooking me university um it is it, such an important institution in the state of florida um and, and also nationally and globally as well and it's so awesome that uh, that you you've written this book to really uh, talk about her uh, her leadership and and we'll get into this later in the interview too, because you've not only written about her, but you've also been engaged uh, institutionally uh, with with her legacy as well. And like I said, we'll get to that later. Um, but you know, at the bottom, of uh of the back of your book it talks about how uh you explore the life leadership and amazing contributions of this dynamic activist can you talk about what made her so dynamic and provided so much to the state of florida and folks globally as well
1: yeah and i just want to go back and also say that my dissertation uh actually looks at the international activism of mrs bethune um I really before coming to Florida, you know, um uh, while I was at Howard University, I worked in her home there in um DC and um I I just learned so much about her story. And so, but when I came to Florida, you know, it was like I found a a whole other It was a whole other dynamic, you know, hearing about the the things that she had done with the women's clubs movement there, Um, even looking at the city of Daytona and how she fought for housing for African-Americans. When I came to Florida, I also found that there was a beach called Bethune Beach. And, you know, I started kind of picking and poking around and, you know, asking people about the beach. And they basically told me that she Um, with the understanding that African Americans could not go to the beach in Daytona, decided to just purchase a beach for African Americans and not only purchase a beach, but to um, make it into investment property also so that people could buy into this idea of ownership. And so I think that when you look at what she has done on a national scale, we tend to focus on that. But I really think the work that she did in her own home state, which of course she's from South Carolina, but she lived over 50 years of her life in this state and she really left her mark. And so right now we're in a time period where um, Florida has just made the decision to um, have her statue placed in statutory hall in Washington, D.C., Um, replacing that of a Confederate soldier. Um, But I was actually a part of the process in which uh, we were fighting for her to, to have that honor. I went to Tallahassee to testify uh, in regards to her significance. And um, it's interesting because all you know, all that she did, you know, we still had to really fight for this recognition for her. Um, But as you can read throughout the text, I mean, she did so much throughout the state. I mean, uh, Florida during the time that Mrs. Bethune was alive was a very bleak place. And, you know, I I, I think it still is a very bleak place in a sense. Absolutely. But, you know, she brought so much life, even just to Daytona, um, with the establishment of different buildings and Um, the different businesses, I'm sorry, there um, with the building of a hospital so that African Americans could have access um, to medical um, facilities. I mean, she was the type of person that when she saw a need, you know, even if it was outside of the scope of what she considered herself to be an expert in, you know, she found people who could do those jobs and, you know, she just didn't let anything hold her back.
0: And and that was one of the things that I th- always thought about as I was reading your text, and, and you know, I, and I had thought that I had known, you know, a pretty good amount of, about uh, Doctor uh, McLeod Bethune, and so I quickly realized, like, nah, bro, you don't know as much as you you thought you did, man. You thought you knew about HBCUs, but uh, you know, uh, not, not that Ashley Robinson. Pressing. It was like, nah, dude, you got some more stuff to to learn, and um. And, and I appreciate you for that, because um, one of the aspects that I always that a lot of people attribute her to um, is, uh, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, First Lady and and the uh, New Deal and such. And obviously those are remarkable. But um, as you illuminate, she was much more than that. There, there, there were a lot more things that she uh, was attached to. And uh, can you talk about how you illuminate some of the things? Uh, Aspects of her life that are less known about um, as far as her legacy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll start with just um, as I mentioned earlier, the hospital um, in Daytona. Uh, there was not really uh, medical access for African-Americans. If you go to Daytona now um, and go into the area where Mrs. Bethune's school was, um, African-Americans couldn't even really cross the railroad tracks in Daytona. You know, they were they had their own small area of town in which they lived. Um, but it was very much limited in you know where they could go and what they would have access to. And so um, she started her own hospital in 1911, McLeod Hospital. And by no means was Mrs. Bethune a nurse or a doctor, uh, but she started this hospital along with with I mean, it had been less than ten years since she started the school. It provided training for some of the first nurses in that area. I mean, they would go out and do go to people's homes and provide health care. And then she fought the city to continue that hospital. Because if you know anything about, you know, having a hospital Um, attached to a university, it can be financially draining. And so she fought the city to establish a black section of the hospital. um, And it was actually right there on campus. And that building is still on the campus today. And so, you know, even down to to health care, even uh, creating programs when her school was still an all girls school, um, she created a better boys program in which it was just a program uh, for young boys to help bring them in off the street, um, teaching them different skill sets and whatnot. And one of the people that happened to be in her Better Boys program was Howard Thurman, went on to be one of the most uh, influential theologians you know, of his time. And he talks about the influence of the great Mary McLeod Bethune. Um, Not only on him, but over the city of Daytona and how much, you know, he looked up to her. And in later years, his wife would actually work with her, um, Sue Bailey Thurman, as a part of the National Council of Negro Women. And so, you know, in Florida, I mean, this is where her leadership, um, she really develops herself as a leader. People, of course, tend to look at what she did with the Roosevelt administration, but that was the 1930s. You know, she had been uh, her school had been in existence since 1904. So she had been, you know, doing this type of thing. You know, this just took her to, um, you know, the next level in her leadership. Uh, but she had already been the president of the um, National Association of Colored Women, uh, was on the verge of creating her own organization, National Council of Negro Women in 1935. And so all of that. Um, is really a result of the hard work and the relationship building that she did while she was still in Florida um, as one of the uh, first female presidents of a college. You know, she was there making her mark
0: already. And, and absolutely. And and I really thought that um, the way that you showed in, in your text that, you know, she she did so much, right? Like that, there, there was so much, right? That we we put her in this particular moment, um, in the 30s, and 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 obviously, yeah, you know, it's very important. It, it's very path breaking, um, but she was a king and queen maker i i i I think as well and considering the fact that we are now wedged um you know at seven o'clock p.m eastern time on the um what's today the 26th of uh june uh, 27th of of june rather of 2019 right we had the uh the the first night of the uh, uh democratic debate um for 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 the presidency and now we have one later on today and uh you know, Dr. Mary McLeod, uh, Mary she would, she would be a, a power broker within this kind of, uh, uh you know, uh, 20, 20 group, uh, candidate, uh, which is a whole nother podcast episode of just, just craziness and madness. But, um, you know, she would be involved in that kind of space, right. That she would, she would have been, uh, uh someone who would, um, be in the, cabinet and, and, or be maybe president, I would say as well. Would would she not?
1: Uh, Definitely. Um, You know, um, Mrs. Bethune in her earlier years, she was a Republican voter as many African Americans were during that time. You know, they were dedicated to the party of Lincoln. Um, But in the thirties, she uh, switched her affiliation and became a Democrat And when people talk about Roosevelt, what they fail to realize, and especially when they talk about Roosevelt and his relationship with African-Americans, what they fail to realize is that Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune was a person that really courted black voters on behalf of the Roosevelt's. You know, when you think about the the connection, it didn't just come, you know, African-Americans did not just easily vote. Uh, for a demo, uh, for a Democrat, you know, there was somebody there that was kind of pushing that button. And Mary McLeod Bethune was one of those people. By the 1930s, she was known as the first lady of Negro America. I mean, she was well on her way. And it did not just start with the Roosevelts. She was already a very influential person in the Black community. And so when you connect with a person like Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, you know, it became... Um, uh, a, a very beneficial relationship between the two of them, or I should say the three of them.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when it comes to what she was able to do uh, and, and the reception that she received for it, it brings me to something that's very local for me. uh Can you talk to us a bit about the story, if you can, of her receiving her honorary doctorate from Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, a place that I'm actually, I grew up in um, and I went to school in? Because I thought that that story was just illuminating um, as well.
1: Yeah. You know, for Mrs. Bethune um, to actually receive that honorary degree, um, initially, uh, the president was really facing losing his job for even giving her uh, that honorary degree. Um, And so as the story goes, um, he basically waited until he was, I think, uh, getting ready to retire to go ahead and give her that honorary degree. Um, But interestingly enough, when she was told that she was going to receive that honorary degree and that he may lose his job, you know, she declined. She said, no, I don't you know, I don't want it if that's what it's going to cost you. But I think for Mrs. Bethune, you know, she she was very smart when it came to. Uh, understanding power and understanding the use of power. And, you know, I think that for her, she was probably happy that she was getting it, but she understood that if he waited, you know, that, that, you know, in the future, there might be some good relationships that even could continue as a result of that, you know, just do it in a timely manner. And I think Mrs. Bethune was very strategic about everything that she did. You know, when you look at, where she went and who she talked to. And when she went into a room, you know, the conversations that she had, ultimately when she left the room, most likely she was going to walk away with something that she needed or wanted. And so I think that, that, you know, the Rollins uh, relationship, I think that it continued to flourish over the years. But I think it's because she was very strategic about, you know, the degree and when she would receive it
0: yeah absolutely and and i really thought that uh it, it really provided a lot of that that section uh provided a lot for me as someone who was like the token black winter in winter Park, Florida and, and such like that. And, and, you know, that's a place that I, I call home. Like that's my, that's my, that's my base right there within the greater you know, uh, state of Florida. And so, uh, even learning about the history that you even provided briefly, um, as you were, you know, contextualizing this occurring, and even you mentioning that she was the first, uh, a uh, Black person to receive a an honorary doctorate from, you know, a Southern institution. Like, that is huge. That is huge. Um, and so I definitely appreciate you for that uh, and, and for illuminating that for all of us.
1: And I think that the timing of it, you know, I, when I think even a little bit deeper about it, you know, if that president had given her that honorary degree and possibly lost his job from it, what would have been the bigger story? So, you know, I think those are the types of things that, you know, she she thought about and processed before um making, you know, decisions.
0: And and you know, I'm gonna switch gears briefly. Um, so so you mentioned that you wrote your dissertation at Howard University. Shouts out to Howard, second Howard interview in the day. Watch out for the Thomas Foster A, A the real one, right? Um, (laughs) And so, you know, you know. And so, um, you know, with that, you know, you wrote about Black internationalism in the context of uh, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune. And so especially in this context, right, the 2018 or 2019 um, uh, African American Intellectual History Society's conference was about, you know, the, the, the name was Black Internationalism then and now. Um, and so with that being said, right, this Black Internationalist moment that the, uh, the AIHS is pushing, right, can you talk about uh, the, the internationalism of, of the activism of um, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, this was something that I really stumbled upon. I was working at uh the archives at Mrs. Bethune's home in DC and doing my uh dissertation on uh not my dissertation, I'm sorry, doing uh African diaspora as my major. And I was thinking, I don't know, you know, anything about her going overseas. I knew that she had won this Haitian Medal of Honor and Merit. And that was like my first kind of you know knowledge of anything internationally for her and then i looked into um the diary of her trip to Haiti and um, the notes and things that she took while she was there. And as it turns out, I mean, she was very consistent on all of these travels, um, you know, especially when she's going into places where she's supposed to be honored, like with the Haitian Medal of Honor and Merit. But while she's there, she spends a lot of time organizing. Um, she's talking to President Esteem's wife. You know, she's trying to get her to be involved in the National Council of Negro Women. She does become a lifetime member of NCNW uh, from that point on. She also travels to orphanages and churches, and she really writes a whole, kind of like a recommendation, um, a a concise recommendation of things that she sees that the president could do throughout Haiti to improve conditions for Haitians there. Um, She also travels to the Bahamas and she meets uh, women there. And she speaks out um, for them to actually gain right the right to vote and encourages them and uh, kind of talks about her activism within the United States. Um, she also travels to Liberia um, and it is there that she is also honored. And she's also um, the uh, representative um, as an ambassador for the United States. And in all of these places, Um, She makes an effort to always organize among women also. If she's gone into a place where women don't have the right to vote, you know, she speaks to um, officials about this matter. Um, She also encourages African-Americans to visit Haiti and to visit Africa, Liberia specifically. And she talks about feeling at home when she's in these places. And I think that's extremely important because when you look at travel, During that time and access to travel, you know, we take it for granted that we can just hop on a plane right now and just go Uh, think about the challenges to even get to a place like Haiti, which isn't far from for me because I'm in Florida. But, you know, for Mrs. Bethune, um, you know, thinking about going to to Africa in these various places, you know, it's a big deal for her at that time. And she encourages other people to not only make these trips, but invest in these places and go to these places and interact and become one, you know, with these people. And so I I think that her, her travel... Um, being that she has such a, a, a huge influence. I mean, she's writing about this stuff in the Chicago Defender. She's telling black people to go travel, to get out of the United States, to visit these places. She is very um, detailed about her trips and what she's doing. And I think it draws other people to also uh, become engaged in this way.
0: And it's exceptional because um, I, I see in your book, um, uh, Dr. Bethune, you know, engaging with folks from India. Even you have an example of someone in, from that, along with you know the 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 you know, folks in Haiti and, and Liberia and I just thought that um that wasn't something that I knew about, right? Um and and, and I really think uh because you know I'm I'm also interviewing uh later on for the series uh, Dr. Reginald Ellis whose work on uh, on Dr. uh uh, on Dr. Uh, James Edward uh, Shepard, you know, and his work at N- NCCU, you know, and so really, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited reading these HBCU institutional histories. I, because I, I, that's in part what I think a lot of your books are intersecting with and so can you talk about um briefly because i know know there's not too much time but can you talk briefly about um how her as someone who is engaging with presidential politics right in the presidential as the college president and also engaging also in presidential policies with, with, you know, national presidents, how she leverage, you know, what is, what does leverage look like for her in a trying to attain resources? Because I'm always fascinated Yes. By this.
1: And, and I think that this is one of the most, I mean, I think that we should study this type of thing much more than we do much more. I think that Bethune-Cookman university should institute some type of study on Mrs. Bethune and how she leveraged power. I mean I think that that, that is a, a major key to the success of you know all of the HBCUs at this point. Um, that especially HBCUs that are looking for innovative ideas as far as funding and that type of thing. Um, one of the things I would I would say about Mrs. Bethune is that what I loved about her is that she was never afraid to speak to people. She was never afraid to announce who she was. She always had an idea of her vision for her, her school, and she was able to convince others of the vision. And I mean, she was just, I mean, I could go on and on, but she was also very humble. You know, when you look at Resources. She's selling sweet potato pies. She's uh, working with the ladies from the church. They're making chicken dinners, but she's also writing um, newspapers in New York and she's telling them, Hi, I'm in Florida. I just started a school. This is like early 1900s. Like you're not even Mary McLeod Bethune, the Mary McLeod Bethune yet, but you're writing newspapers. Um, and this is all in building a better world. Um, the the text on her. They have letters that she's written. She had written Booker T. Washington when she first started her school. Uh, Well, before she actually met him, she just wrote letters to him like, Hey, can you help me? Like, what's going on? Like, I want my school to flourish like yours. And so I think that she always put herself out there and she wasn't afraid to talk to people. And she wasn't like, um, she wasn't a person that just targeted, Two people in the room. She wanted to talk to everyone in the room. As long as you would give her an audience, she would tell you about the importance of her school. And so when you look at what she was able to do um, politically, um, you know, when you look at the, the um, role that she took in the Roosevelt administration as one of the first Black women to head a federal agency, what I recently learned about that position is that it was actually an unpaid position. Now, you know, good and well, if we see a position right now and it's unpaid, we're going to say, well, well, I don't know about that. (laughs) But she took.
0: I, I literally did that. I literally did that on Twitter.
1: Exactly. But she took that position because when she looked at it, we're talking about. we're in the midst of the Great Depression. We're talking about, oh, this is going to provide resources for students. This is going to provide buildings on campuses. Oh, this is going to provide stipends for those who want vocational um, learning. This is also going to provide you know, jobs. Oh, we can do the civilian pilot training program. Oh, okay. That's good. I'm going to fight for HBCUs to be included in that. Okay. Now we're going to have the Tuskegee Airmen that come about as a result of those types of programs. And so she was able to always look at the bigger picture. And like, even with something that it seemed like It was going to be good, but it wasn't going to like with the unpaid, it wasn't going to necessarily benefit her as much as it should. Like I should be making 50,000 a year. But she looked at it and saw the bigger picture. She saw access to resources, the ear of the president. Okay, this is worth it. You know, so I think that that's that's something that we could really learn from, because a lot of times it, you know, opportunity might not look like what you think it would look like. But in the end, if you remain faithful to it, it can help a number of people. And it might not necessarily, you know, it, it might not necessarily help you the way you want it to, but it's bigger than you. And she realized that it was much bigger than her.
0: And and so in the last couple of minutes that we have you, um, you know, th- th- this this particular book, uh Along with your your the work that you've done in in public history as well leads me to this particular question of what what would you say as someone who's studied Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune so much over the course of your life what particular t- aspect of her life do, are you most fond of what what is something that for you you learned about, right, that really touched you uh, uh, within your research and your writing experience on on the topic of Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune?
1: <sighs> There's so much. Um, I think that one of the things that I really admire about her is that She's from a very small town. I'm from a very small town, 5,000 people. And I was driving back home one day, my husband and I, then fiance, and he saw the sign. I saw the sign and I was like, oh my God, I would love to just drive by Mrs. Bethune's house. And I hadn't done that yet. I think it was, it was after I wrote the book, actually, maybe 2016. And as we drove through that little town and we went to that little cabin and we saw the actual land where she grew up. And, you know, in driving through the town, you can tell that the town is probably the same size it was when Mrs. Bethune was there. And I think that that really touched me because it really let me know. I think sometimes when we're from these small places, you know, and we look out out at the world, you know, sometimes we limit ourselves and like, she didn't have any limits. She never felt embarrassed because she was from a small town. It, I think it's also interesting that and, and, you know, I know you study this this stuff and you'll be able to understand what I'm saying. Mrs. Bethune was a very dark woman and a lot of the leaders and people that were able to become successful during that time were very light or mulatto and I think that's another thing as we talk about image and colorism, especially during this time, you know, she says, I've never been ashamed of my color. And, you know, she was a very proud woman, um, talked about, you know, being a descendant of Africans. And, you know, I just, there's so many things about her that I admire. And I just feel like, You know, she was very true to herself at all times when I came to Daytona and I heard people talk about her sitting out on the front porch and just talking to people as they would come by. And I thought, wow, this is a woman who has traveled the world, who has literally walked into the president's office before, and she's sitting here hanging out, drinking sweet sweet tea on the porch with everyone, you know? It was just like, wow, everything that I've learned about her to hear these personal relationships, it makes her seem so real.
0: And and that's also why, you know, sometimes people, you know, especially when we're talking about um, institution building and not only building, but sustaining and, uh, you know, seeing what's going on at, at, at BCU right now, you know, we definitely want to make sure that, you know, we continue Uh, uh, Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune's legacy by continuing the institution that is, you know, the most prized of the, of the ones that we, that we have that, that she left. And so, you know, that's why as well, um, you know, I actually literally know exactly where you're talking about that little, that turn on um, that road in South Carolina, where you see the Brown sign that says, you know, Mary McLeod Bethune I think birthplace or something to that tune. Um, And I literally, I was on my way back, up from South Carolina to Delaware uh, where I was at school and I didn't have the time. I left late. I didn't have the time to go see it, but I know exactly uh, where you're talking about because my family's from Dalzell, uh, South Carolina. And so that's where I'm coming from. And that's on my way up towards the interstate I have to go through that particular area so now I know exactly where you're talking about and actually you took the question out of my maps. so I was gonna actually actually as the last one if you had actually seen that particular marker
1: yeah it's humbling it's it is so humbling I mean I've worked in both of her houses in DC and Florida and to go to that house was like wow this is where all of this started What an amazing life, you know, what an amazing life, an amazing person. And, um, you know, I think at this point, it it, just looking back at all that she accomplished and how she was able to do it. I mean, she literally started that school with a dollar and 50 cent, you know. So if she could do that in 1904 with a dollar and 50 cent, you know, how much more can be done in 2019, with so many more recess resources and access to you know all types of things, so I think that just looking back, um, you know, a lot of Sankofa, you know, is really going to be helpful because I think a lot of times we try to reinvent the wheel, and it's not even necessary. You know, she has. You know, her whole life was spent giving and connecting people and building bridges and making a way out of no way. You know, and she did that so many years ago so that we could, you know, follow in that same path.
0: Absolutely. And uh, before we go, just for those who don't know, can you explain what Sankofa is for those? I don't know if everyone knows what Sankofa means.
1: Yeah, Sankofa is looking back at the past and using it to move forward, using it in the present, the Sankofa bird. It's in a Dinkra
0: symbol. Well, there it is. And that is why new books in African-American studies. We've had the amazing opportunity to chat with none other than Dr. Ashley Robertson Preston, African-American studies lecturer at the university of Florida in Gainesville, Florida. And so Dr. Uh, Robertson Preston has been on to chat to us about her amazing book published in 2015 by our friends at the History Press, entitled Mary McLeod Bethune in Florida Bringing Social Justice to the Sunshine State. And so, once again, folks, I'm your host, Adam McNeil, for new books in African American Studies. Till next time, once again, over and out.